Hello, wonderful people. This is Jason English with Things About Things, simplifying concepts without sacrificing depth. And I took a chance on this one. I reached out to a man named David Hayward, who most people know as the Naked Pastor. You may or may not may or may not have seen his art on Instagram and beyond other social media platforms where he does cartoon drawings, he does watercolor art, and he's written books and plenty more. Uh, he, we, we talked about deconstruction and art, and I, I reached out to him online, and he responded, and we just hit it off. He lives in Canada, and I feel like I made a new friend, even though it's kind of gutsy of me to say that we're friends. We, we talked for an hour, and I look up to him very much so. so. Uh, he creates art that challenges thinking. This is an opportunity right now for you to sit back and listen to a, a, a journey of faith deconstruction and art creation and how those overlap. You can also, uh, after you listen to this conversation, you might want to go to nakedpastor.com, nakedpastor.com, and you can look at and buy bold, beautiful art and merch that sparks courageous conversations. You, you find art and ideas that challenge your thinking and supports your quest for truth. And it encourages unlimited, authentic growth, is what he likes to say. And I really like that because he he's trying to remind us that we're free to have our own spiritual journey. Should be pretty obvious, right? But oftentimes in religion, it is not. So go to nakedpastor.com. Maybe you want to go to nakedpastor.com right now before you listen to the conversation. Maybe just press pause, go to nakedpastor.com, look at, read some of his story, look at some of the original art that he's created, drawings, paintings, cartoon art. Over the years, as I've been teaching, there have been many, many people that have reached out to me to let me know that they were going through or have already gone through a deconstruction of their faith or more specifically deconstruction of the religious of the religion that was presented to them or maybe both and over the years I would get comments that would be something like this they'd say that the things that I said encouraged them and helped them in their deconstruction as opposed to saving them from it. And I always considered that a high compliment. I, I know some religious people that would not consider that a compliment. They would consider that very dangerous. And I can understand and appreciate why they would say that. But I think that it is healthy to, to think through everything, to challenge what has been presented to you, to, to let what you have thought is true, to let it kind of fall apart or, or, or take it apart and, and take a look at it and decide if it really is what you believe and really is the path you want to be on. And so I reached out to David and we talked about that. And his story is so beautiful. I'm sure it has been very difficult. But his art, you can follow on Instagram. I'm pretty sure you just, it's at Naked Pastor. I'm almost, I'm almost positive. And look at some of the art, follow him. He makes little videos that are so inspirational. He also has written several books and 
another one's coming out this year that you'll hear about momentarily. But if you're an artist, I think you're going to really like this conversation because of what he describes as his artistic process. And also, if you are either in the process of your faith or religion being deconstructed or maybe you've already gone through that, even if it's kind of old news to you and you've you've been through this before and you're not that interested because you already went through that process a decade or more ago, whatever, I still think it would be beneficial because he went through a deconstruction uh, 20 years ago or something like that. And so whether this is something you're currently going through or it's old news, or maybe you've never even thought about that word or what that might mean, I still think that it is healthy for people to you know, listen to somebody who's gone through when they have immersed themselves in a, in a specific culture or idea for 30 40, or 40 years, and then they allow themselves to think through what doesn't belong and why in their own journey. So I hope that this is helpful for you. Sit back, go to nakedpastor.com, look at the art, read about his journey, and then listen to what he has to say about deconstruction and art. Enjoy. But I do have a book coming out called uh, um, Flip It Like This. Um, so it's Jesus teaching a woman how to flip tables. But uh, uh, that's the cartoon on the cover. But So Flip It Like This is a naked pastor best of cartoons over my entire career so far as a cartoonist. So 125 of my best. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So it's coming out this year, though. Uh, yeah. Well, the... In my mind, the two things that I'd love to just hear from you and pick your brain and learn from you, one is just about cartoon art mm. in general. And, you know, I really like trying to discover more and more ways of simplifying something without sacrificing depth. And I feel like that's kind of what you do. It's it's like this deep, multi-layered, it could be an entire lecture on something, but instead Here's a little picture with a few words, and it somehow captures arguably more than the lecture would. So where do you begin when, when, yeah. you, when you're going to try to simplify something and you're going to do a, a cartoon art or any form of your art? I know that you do more than cartoon art. Right. Where do you even begin? Um, well, I think I, I, I just see things in my head. So um, I have a weird brain that way where I can walk, like, for example, when we saw this house for sale on the river, um, basically it was a cottage with a whole bunch of tiny little rooms cutting it up. And uh, but it overlooked the river. I wanted the location. And I I walked in the house and I saw all the walls gone like open concept. So I could picture that. But my wife couldn't picture that. And so she was very nervous. I talked her into it. And sure enough, we turned it into an open concept kind of home. So I can. I can picture things. And so I've been painting and drawing my whole life ever since I can remember. And um, it was back in 2006 where I thought, 
you know, I can, I can picture this whole post that I've written a thousand words, let's say in one simple picture, why don't I try and communicate through cartoons? And, um, they took off. So that I, and they say a picture is worth a thousand words. And, um, I think it really is true. Do you start with the idea of what you want to convey or do you start with a literal image in your mind or do you start with words in your mind? Right. Well, that's a good question. I, I'm, um, I prefer that the whole thing pops into my brain all at once. And that happens once in a while. And they're often my best turn out to be my best. I never know beforehand if it's going to be a good cartoon. I only can tell by the response they get. Um, so, uh, my best cartoons are ones that just pop into my head already done. Um, my worst cartoons are the ones where I have an idea and I have to try to draw something to fit it. Um, I find that kind of frustrating. And then sometimes I see an image that I think is funny or poignant or, or whatever, and I try to figure out how to uh, make a story out of it. So with words or whatever. So there's different ways it happens, but the, be the best and the funnest and the most effective and the most popular cartoons are the ones that just pop into my head already completed. <laughs> I wish that would happen more often. <laughs> sure. What is your routine? Do you, do you just, it's kind of similar to writing, I guess. I know you're an author, so this, yeah. you might do this too, but do you commit to, okay, I'm going to draw X amount of hours a day or minutes a day or drawings a day or week or something? Do you have right. one like that? Or do you just go with the flow, so to speak? Well, yeah. So that's the trouble with artists um, is when we go with the flow, sometimes um, the flow doesn't show. So um, I, I do have a routine where every morning I get up and I, I have my morning routine. Uh, but when I'm, you know, when the fire's stoked, the dog's out, the lights are on, the coffee's made, um, the music's playing. I'll sit down with my pencil and paper or my iPad and just start drawing, start working. Uh, and I do like to try to do something for that day. Like I'm not drawing for next week. I'm I'm trying to come up with a cartoon for that day. So, uh, and, you know, so I've got a couple hours to do it in, sometimes less. And and how much how much revision or editing is there? Do you draw it and then go got it, or do you draw it and go don't got it, or is it like yeah. sort of, but I'll keep working on it. Yeah, well, I'll I'll keep. Um, sometimes the first draft is is good. So if you if anybody out there knows my cartoons at all, they're not, you know, expertly drawn, kind of refined museum quality images they're roughly drawn and um i i want it that way i want it kind of raw kind of real kind of immediate um and so my first draft i make sure it, it looks good and i make sure there's nothing missing and you know when i'm doing the words i make sure there's no spelling mistakes or anything like that but um very seldom do i have to do another draft but sometimes though um i'll i'll realize i could have said something better or maybe done something better 
and uh, then I'll I'll revise it. I've even revised cartoons that are a few years old that I thought, oh, you know what? I know how this could be a lot better, and I and I go at it and and revise the cartoon and 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 share it. So, yeah. So for me, I feel a lot of liberty to work with my cartoons, um, and if it's, there's an old one that I can revise and make better, I'll do that. But um, yeah, so usually, usually they're pretty, pretty much my first, my first draft though. Well, being a former pastor, 30 years in ministry, do you feel like back, mm. in, back in the day when maybe on a regular basis, you had a homily or sermon or whatever your tradition called it, you know, 15 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever it was. Do you mm. feel like now that you you're focused more on drawing do you think that you say more now than when you? Well, that's a really that's a really complicated question because there's a whole lot of other factors at work, right? So, like now, I I don't feel like I'm, um, I don't feel like I have anybody with authority looking over my shoulder, making sure I'm staying in line, which I always felt I had, you know, with the denomination or my authority people over me or whatever. So there, I have, I feel like I have a lot of, a lot of freedom. And uh, so I, I feel I can be more honest and direct now. Mm -hmm. uh, I sometimes I worry about followers and stuff, but I try not to worry about that. I try to just be authentically me, um, take me or leave me kind of thing. And I feel a lot of freedom to do that. So um I, I do feel like I am a better communicator and now than I than I was. However, that being said, I do miss being in a room of people sharing my thoughts. I, I do miss that. Uh -huh. Yeah, because it's all online now. Yeah, I resonate with this so much. And just so you know, I mean, I uh, not only have, have I followed your work for quite some time, but I even my own journey has kind of followed some of yours, not, not copied yours. I think it was, I, my journey was doing some of the same things yours had done without me knowing that. Oh yeah. Um, and I really look up to you and I really, um, you know, I, I, I feel a lot of reassurance when I hear you talk about being free and feeling you're more free to be yourself and say, yeah. well, cause that's what I'm, that's what I'm experiencing now is, I never, I never lied. I never stood on the stage and lied, but there was always a filter of don't go too far with this sentiment. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Not, and I don't even mean dumbing it down either, but don't go fully into what you're saying. Yeah. Would, so the, the way I describe that, yeah. The way I describe that is uh, I, uh, I never felt like I was an imposter. Like I, I was always open, authentically me. I never felt like I was lying or pretending. Um, I know a lot of pastors who are in that situation who are, maybe they've even de totally deconverted and become atheists and they're still in the pulpit hiding that reality. And it's, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine living under that kind of tension, but I never felt, I because for me, I always gravitated towards churches where I felt I, I had quite a bit of freedom. And I also never felt like I was on the, you know, 
stage talking down to people like an authority. I always felt it was more of a democratic process with me where we're in this together, we're learning together, we're traveling together um, and we're discovering together. And uh, I'm just sharing my thoughts and and our my my messages were always conversational with the congregation. So uh, so all those things combined, I, I never felt like I was imposturing ever. Right. But at the same time, I'm, I know what you mean. Whereas, no, I the things I'm reflecting on and reading about and writing in my journal, um, I wasn't even ready for that yet. Mm-hmm. So so um, you know I wasn't in a position. To, to be fair to the congregation, to start talking about that stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. I always felt like people didn't believe me, I don't think, but I never felt like a pastor. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It was like I was wearing someone else's clothes. It's just like yeah. a career I somehow got in and then kept getting affirmation about. And, but I, I never, I felt more like someone on the outside. (laughs) And so I would say, say sentiments and uh, some of the, some of the drawings that you've done, I I would talk about some of those ideas, you know, same, same kind of wavelength thinking. And then it'd be like the sent, the comments would be like, pastors don't say those things. And then I'd be like, huh, I get, maybe I'm not a pastor then, you know? You know, that's really, really interesting. I mean, we we have traveled parallel roads because um, I went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and I studied under Dr. Gordon Fee, who's a world-class New Testament uh, uh, critic. And um, so I, I studied under him. He was my mentor and I, I got a, a, a master's in New Testament studies. And then I went to, um, from there, after a few years of ministry, uh, as a as a assistant, I went to the University of Toronto to get my PhD in New Testament studies, and I started my PhD there. And after um, uh, a couple of months, we realized uh, we found out that Lisa was pregnant, and we all of a sudden we were in a bind because we couldn't afford and all this stuff. Anyway, I talked to somebody who's in who was the president of the Presbyterian College at McGill University in Montreal. And um, he said, come come here eight months, uh, get your ministry degree to top up your New Testament degree. And we'll give you a church in the meantime, we'll pay you, you'll have free housing. Um, you'll be able to take care of your family. And then after that, you get ordained and you, you choose your church wherever you want in Canada. And it's like, it was, I I, I had to take that offer. <laughs> so it was like I accidentally ended up in ministry too and I never I even remember the night of my ordination uh, and I was getting ordained with some friends of mine two other friends of mine and uh, one of our friends was preaching the ordination and I was like I don't know guys I I don't know I don't know if I'm doing the right thing and I was really agonizing over it and finally they were saying just shut up and do it like they were just so frustrated (laughs) with me so I shut up and did it and uh, um, but I was the same way all the way through. It's like, am I doing the right thing? Is this my calling? Is this my destiny? And then, you know, I'd have some people, I was constantly getting affirmed as a pastor, but then some people, oh, you're just like Paul kicking against the pricks, you know, and stuff like that. But anyway, yeah, I struggle with it all through my ministry, all through it. Yeah. And, and I would, um, I would 
have these thoughts like, how long is this my career, my whole life? Yeah. And, uh, and then this kind of religious weight, kind of like this either real authority or perceived authority of, um, and I found this out in going to counseling and going to a spiritual director, but I remember the president of the seminary that I went to. So I was you know, 21 years old when I started seminary. And right. I remember him saying something like, most people that go into ministry don't retire. And they, and he said something like, not everyone can handle it their whole career. I can't remember how he worded it, but I remember what it did to me as a 21 year old is I thought if I don't do this my whole life, I'm a failure. Right. And he will think I failed and I quit. Right. And, and it was interesting how, you know, 22, 23 years full-time vocational ministry and his voice was still there. <laughs> tell me that I'm a failure if I don't do this as my job. Yeah. Meanwhile, what my, what my heart was telling me was it was time for something else in my life. And yeah. it's funny, he never, and I still keep up with him a little bit. He didn't make me feel guilty at all. It was this, this fake little voice in my yeah. head. Like if you don't do, if you're not a pastor until you're 65 or more like 70, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, it's not true. I, I, I left the ministry in 2010 and I, the, the guys I got ordained with, you know, they're, uh, they're all retired now and living on their, you know, have their pensions and everything. And so it was last year, maybe two years ago, I said, Hey guys, like, what, what did I walk away from? Like, what's, what would my pension have been? Like, just out of curiosity. And they're like, well, it's about $1,500 a month ago. Oh, then I did the right thing. <laughs> I, totally, I totally did the right thing. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I want to talk about deconstruction a little bit, if you don't mind. It's, yeah, it's yeah. brought up a good amount. It's, it's embedded in a lot of your art. It's in some of your books. It's in some of your social media posts. Uh, and then we might weave in and talk about deconstruction and use some of your art examples if, if that is relevant. But yeah. uh, it seems like I'm, I'm there with you. I hear, I hear pushback on it in the last five to 10 years, almost like a mockery of it. Yeah. Um, but this is something that not only has been going on in our culture for quite some time, but I, I actually, my theory is that this is a new, not brand new, but this is a thing that is happening in the world that is a good thing to bring progress to humanity. Yeah. Um, so so what, what exactly is, in your mind, what is deconstruction? And why do you think that this is a really good thing that we're going through as a people? I... You know, I, uh, yeah, deconstruction is going, it's going, the word mm -hmm. right now is going through uh, a lot of winnowing, a lot of, a lot of people are beating it up and co-opting it and twisting it around and misusing it and um, mocking it or whatever. Uh, so I'm actually thinking about, okay, how, how are we going to, how are we going to manage this uh, going into the future? So for me, I, I only, I just started using the word deconstruction way back in 2008, because I was actually reading deconstruction philosophy. Mm -hmm. uh, Derrida, um, the French philosopher actually coined the word um, deconstruction in French translation, of course. Uh, but um, it, 
when I was reading it, I thought this is a really good word to describe what I'm experiencing. And basically it's just me questioning my beliefs. That's all like deconstruction is you question everything, everything. Yeah. You question the text you're reading, you're questioning the author, uh, you're questioning the transmission, you're you're questioning your reception of it, you're you question everything so that it's much impossible to know mm -hmm. the truth mm. of what the text of the text or even if the text is addressing the truth even if it claims to mm. um so that i thought this is a perfect word to describe what i'm going through where i'm questioning everything that i believe even the word belief i'm questioning that so that that's why i i co-opted the word for myself and I started writing it in my blog people started calling me a deconstructionist as if it was an insult I took it as a compliment mm -hmm. but it's it's like that that to me is what deconstruction and it's basically the adolescence young adult stage of spiritual progress that's all that's basically all it is it's like any adolescent or young adult when they say wait a minute I'm, I'm not sure I believe everything my parents taught me or my teachers, or I don't know if I trust systems or organization or institute. Like that's just natural, healthy growth in the real world. That same thing should be happening in the spiritual world. And that's what I that's what I'm calling deconstruction. And uh I, that should carry on through into our adult life where we don't just blatantly trust anything that comes along and say it that says it's true, and that we should always question everything. And including our own conditioning, um, yeah. which is deeply embedded. So that, to me, is a long answer to a short question. What I think deconstruction is. I love it. I'm I'm right there with you on everything you just said. The question is, in my mind, the next question is, uh -huh. to what end? Or is that even the right question? I don't even I don't know. Well, no. So I I get this a lot where people okay, what's the goal? Mm -hmm. Uh, or when do you start reconstructing about reconstruction? I discourage it. It's like this house here that I told you about earlier that I totally made open concept. I tore down walls. I'm a, I'm an open concept kind of a person. And I, I, what's wrong with space? Yeah. Like what's wrong with openness? Um, why build another belief system that you're only going to have to deconstruct later anyway. Um, and there is, there's the only goal is you, the goal is you want to be true. You want to you want to be free. You want to know what truth is, what is real. And so that's constant um, questioning and probing and analyzing. It's not about um, believing and hunkering down into your belief system and buckling into your faith. Uh, come what may that it's the other it's the other side of that where you question everything and that never stops so that i'm going to be questioning till my dying day um, i'm going to be doubting um, everything that comes along that claims to be true um, i'm always going to be suspicious of organizations and institutions that claim to have power over my life and so on so it's i think it's just a healthy way to live so the, that the goal is to be more free and true mm. um, and don't like, I'm not against yoga or Buddhism or Catholicism or 
atheism or any of any other isms, but it's an it's an ism. And I, I I don't want to slap on another label that I'm going to have to spend years scraping off after I no longer trust it. You know what I'm saying? So it's that's that's what I mean by not not thinking about reconstruction and not thinking about a goal. This is just natural, um, a natural human process, and to you know buckle up and enjoy the ride. Maybe wear a helmet, but. So it's like it's like uh, I use the analogy of a of a garden where you you plant a seed, like say a tomato seed, and you just clear the earth. You get stones out of the way, sticks out of the way. You add manure. You add compost. You you weed. You you make sure there's sufficient sunlight. You water it. You know you you. Most of it is clearing things away, make, giving it room. And, and that's the beauty of it. You don't have to pull a tomato out of this green thing. It happens when it's given all the nutrients and when it's given the room. And so that to me is healthy spiritual growth is when you're given space. I trust people when they're given space and they're, they have the nutrients they need that they will grow. And, and, and it's as simple as that. No force. And I, I remember one of the things that I used to say, or I still say, but when I used to say um, from a pastor perspective, that you could really see a dividing line. Some people loved it. And then some people thought this is really dangerous. And I would say, you, you're, you're already everything. And, uh, and it was, some people went, whoa. And they would say to me, wait, so I've been here, you know, I've kind of wounded from church and I showed up here and I've heard you say some things and I feel some healing. And if you, if, if what you're saying is true, then I don't really have to be a part of a system. And I would say, and I said, Oh, you absolutely don't have to, and maybe shouldn't. And they'd go six months later, Hey, I'm going to stop going to church and it's because of you, but I'm saying, but thank you. <laughs> and I would say, yeah, you're welcome. And I wouldn't be here half the time if it wasn't my job. Because <laughs> I don't feel like it's a necessary thing in life to be a part of something like that. Certainly not all the time. I mean, like you said earlier, there's something nice about being in a room of people. That's nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. But not a but not because I have to or it accomplishes right. something or whatever. And uh that was that was always fascinating because then other people, you know, you can see their theological background pop up and reject if you say you you already are everything it's like all sorts of doctrines come up and they go no and here's why in this verse i know i know i i did a cartoon not long ago where um jesus is talking to a bunch of people and he says you're here realizing you don't need to be healed is the greatest healing i'm telling you man the storm that that caused just today a young woman um direct messaged me on Instagram saying, it's my birthday. I'm deconstructing. What do you have to say to me today on my birthday? <laughs> and I said, love yourself is already perfect. Yeah. And then she was like, that's exactly what I needed. Um, I'm going to, this is a, a, what do they call it? Um, spoiler alert for a movie, but it's an old one. If you haven't seen it, then shame on you. Um, <laughs> the Last Samurai. Oh, yeah. 
Um, so the the Japanese master of the, the village, the samurai, is looking for the perfect cherry blossom. Remember throughout the movie, he's looking for the perfect cherry blossom. And then on the, on the last scene on the battlefield, he's lying there, Tom Cruise. Yeah. And um, he says, perfect. The wind is blowing and yeah. the cherry blossoms are blowing across the field. And he says, they're all perfect. Mm. That to me is humanity. Yeah. And I, I believe that, and I told you earlier, I didn't grow up in church. But I believed that as a child. And even as a young adult and only religion taught me otherwise. <laughs> and um, it's not to say that I'm naive, that I think that no one ever does anything wrong. That's not my point at all. There is obviously horrible atrocities in the world. People do horrible things to each other and that shouldn't be, I guess. But um, mm -hmm. the true self is is really what I'm. I guess I'm referring to. But I uh, right. had a, I guess a, a memory. I was in the ocean, and I grew up at the ocean, so you know I'm tying in childhood feelings with. And I was right. floating in the ocean, looking up at the sky, and I remember as a boy. And keep in mind, no church influence, no religious influence. I didn't grow up with any tradition. Uh -huh. I always believed that there was something that held everything together and that that something had awareness. It wasn't, it wasn't just chemicals or something, but something that was aware personhood. Maybe I wouldn't use the word personhood as a kid, but something that meant that knows, but I never felt like you had to believe anything correct in order for that to be true. It was right. just, I'm floating in the ocean and I think there's something that holds us together. And then to go further with it, I believe that that, that God, uh, universe, whatever, all the words together, I'm just going to say it's all the same, the all, whatever, approved of me. Mm -hmm. Only as a young adult within a religious context that was I ever introduced the idea that that God wouldn't approve of me. <laughs> And uh, yeah, now I'm, I'm on my deconstruction is more of a is more of a going back to what I felt when I was a boy, and it's really freeing to float yeah. in the ocean as a 44 year old and go. There's something that connects us all, and I think that that something really likes me. You know, yeah, that's profound, beautiful. Um, I, I, I was the same as a child. And then I, I got into religion and I, I, I put all my eggs in that basket. Like I, I was complicit in my own undoing. I'll admit it. Like I, I studied theology hard. I won theology prizes, uh, reformed theology prizes, even like I read Calvin and the Westminster confession and Karl Barth, who's still one of my favorite theologians. And like, yeah. I, I did all that. And, but at the same time, however, I was also meditating and contemplating and writing in my journal and reading about Judaism, reading about Islam, reading about Buddhism, atheism, quantum physics, philosophy, you name it, mysticism, everything. Because I was trying to figure out how this was all one. And then in 2009, I had this profound kind of epiphany where I saw we're all one, we're all connected. There's one reality, yeah. one reality, but we all perceive it differently. We all apprehend it differently. We all articulate it differently. But that's all the, those are our thoughts. 
ideas, beliefs, words. There's just one reality, though. I'm telling you, that was, and peace of mind settled on my my mind. Peace, peace, and it's never gone away. That was 12 years ago. And um, the theological angst was gone. And just that sense of oneness, uh, that there's just one reality that we all share, this divide, but we think we're divided by our thoughts and words. And uh, it's beautiful. It's profound. Everything's perfect. And um, but that led to my having to leave the ministry a year later because it started leaking out in, uh, you know, <laughs> things yeah. I was writing about and, and cartooning about and, and so on. So, yeah, yeah. That, I'm right there with you, man. I think, you know, you're just you're ahead of me and it. But same same here. Almost everything you're saying. Same here. <laughs> you know, I'm just not, yeah, I'm not ahead. Oh, that's, the, that's the thing. I'm actually not ahead. We're actually we're we're in this together. We are we are one, and it, it's nothing but um, for me. It wasn't any kind of an achievement. It was just seeing what is. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's like it's like that scene in the Last Samurai with the cherry blossoms. It's a beautiful scene. Sad though, but beautiful. Yeah. And where you just realize everything's everything's perfect. And you know, to me it. It, it that experience carried weight because the peace of mind I got, that came from that mm. um, that has never gone and uh where i realized thoughts are just thoughts and beliefs are just beliefs and words are just words that that can't disturb that oneness and um so that that image of you floating in the ocean looking up i'd love to be doing that right now <laughs> winter listening i'm in canada where i'd have to chip through 3 feet of ice to get to float in anything <laughs> right now but um it just sounds so beautiful yeah i i um i want to talk about sophia art in a moment yeah. um i was yeah. i was going to say one thing before i forget though is uh i when when i realized that it was time for me to pursue something else as a career remember talking to friends, family, counselor, spiritual director. Mm -hmm. The last thing was, which probably should have been the first thing, but no regrets. But I was, what do I feel? What do I think? Just me. Oh. And, uh, and I went to a, like a Trappist monastery and did a silent retreat thing for five days. And and in my mind, it was, okay, five days of silence. And I've done something like that before, but it wasn't at a monastery. And I'm going to journal, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to process, and I'm going to pro and con list stuff. And I got there, and I picked up a book and went to a prayer labyrinth. Do you know what that what I mean when I say prayer labyrinth? Yeah. And I opened the book, and it was a Mary Oliver poem and the journey. And it says, one day you finally knew what you had to do and began. And I lost my shit immediately. I just started <laughs> weeping like 10 steps into a prayer labyrinth. It was, it was like, I, I knew I was, I could have just gone home and been, you know, but I just decided, okay, I'm going to stick with this. And there's just so, it's just so peaceful when you, when you know. Mm -hmm. And then I went back to the room I was in proceeded to take a 45 minute nap sitting upright in a chair to show you how, I guess how weary I was. Yeah. Ate quick dinner, went back to the room. So I think I, I slept from five to five forty-five, 
got up, ate dinner from six to six thirty, went back to the room, and I thought, I think I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> and I and I took a shower and I slept from seven p.m. till nine a.m. After a forty-five minute nap right before that, and I'm I'm a I'm a husband and a father. I that's very rare occurrence to. Yeah, to yeah. And uh, it was like when I finally decided that my heart knew. But it was interesting how I was intentional with the, the phrase. I would say my heart is telling me that it's okay. time for something new. But a lot of the religious people that I know, they reworded what I said, which I'm sure has happened to you all the time. Yeah. They say that you said something that you didn't say. And people would be like, well, you know, if that's what the Lord told you, then that's what you got to do. If the Lord calls you to this. And I was like, that's not what I said. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, does that happen to you where people go, oh, yeah, that cartoon oh, yeah. said this. And you're like, that's not what I said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I get that a lot. That's that's profound. Yeah, I've had experiences like that. And yes, they affect you psychosomatically for sure. It's like a huge burden. I'm in awe and, and admiration of the art that you do that involves Jesus and church buildings and sheep <laughs> and sheep with rainbow coloring. <laughs> Those to me are more clear of what you're trying to communicate than, for instance, the Sophia art that oftentimes doesn't say any words except for maybe the title. Uh, talk about Sophia. Okay. So I'm going to um, remind me after the show yeah. for you to give me your address and I'm going to send you, and I think your wife will love it too. I don't really know anything about your wife, but she's in spiritual direction. I want her opinion on the book, the liberation of Sophia which is a collection of 59 of my Sophia drawings, and each one has a meditation. Mm. So the Sophia thing is one of the most profound things that ever happened to me. Mm. Uh, it was um, about a year after, well, no, I think it might have been just a, maybe a month or so after um, I, I left the ministry. I almost said graduation. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. After I, I, like ministry, I feel like... Uh, yeah, <laughs> I uh, I sat down where I normally draw, and like so. Normally, up to this point, I've been um, painting nice watercolors and you know things like that, landscapes. But this one, I drew, I drew a picture, and like Lisa, my wife, she says, "What is that about?" And I said, "I don't know. I just like I just felt I had to draw it, and it was a picture of a little girl." standing in front of this towering grizzly bear that's looking down on her on his haunches and um, she's holding up to him her little teddy bear and I called it fearless and um, I was just so moved by it like it took me hours because it's a lot of detail and then my my wife was uh, a nurse so she was working weekends nights and um so every time she'd go to work i'd pull out my art material open a bottle of wine crank up some music and start drawing and so every weekend uh, i would spend about 12 hours or 20 hours on a on a drawing and um this woman or young girl sophia i didn't even know her name yet but uh, kept showing up so it was about eight or nine drawings in where I drew the one where she's standing in front of a dark cave mm -hmm. and it's called cave. And um, I started crying and I realized 
oh my God, this is me. I'm standing in front of the cave and I don't know whether I want to go in. It was uh, it was a Jungian kind of thing where I was being invited into the cave where, you know, visions can happen or where you see yourself or find yourself or anyway. And I was afraid. And so it shows her standing in front of this mouth of a cave with vines and darkness. And, and uh, I realized, oh, my God, I'm drawing my I'm drawing myself. This is about me. And so I kept drawing. I'd sit down. I had no plan. I would just start drawing and, and a picture would emerge. <laughs> I'm not talking. I'm not, I, I don't want anybody out there thinking I'm gone woo woo or anything like that. Cause it wasn't, I know you're not about, in a trance. I get it. Yeah. No, no, no. It was, you know, I was drinking wine, listening to Rihanna really loud or whatever. And drawing. Wine and Rihanna minor trance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I realized that this was my journey and all the drawings have to do with her in the wild, yeah. all by herself, right. very vulnerable, uh, maybe with uh, a wild animal. Um, and she feels very, you know, she looks very vulnerable and everything, but she's after her um, liberation. She's after her freedom and um, she wants to live free. And I realized I was drawing my own, journey away from the church and institutional religion and organized spirituality and all this kind of thing and the ministry. And, you know, I was 59 um, drawings in, 60 drawings in, and boom, it stopped. It's just like I didn't feel inspired to draw anymore. So I I, I wrote all the meditations out um, more clearly, more fully, and um, it's kind of poetic prose kind of stuff. And I put them together in the book, The Liberation of Sophia. So, yeah, it was like that was just an incredible experience where I actually arted my way through this process. Oh, yeah. Yeah, powerful. I and, am strongly considering getting a tattoo of one of the Sophia pieces. Well, my son just I got saw, a tattoo. Oh, I saw your he post. Thought, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so figure out uh, uh, sophia metamorphosis where she's surrounded by butterflies and uh, that one and i I, when i first was following some of those posts uh i first thought of my wife because Mm -hmm. she's very into nature woods animals (laughs) and then i realized it was me so it's but but it was more specifically, I've always felt like I was following something she was figuring out. And if I would just be near her journey, then I would figure out something too. So yeah. I, I'm right there with you. Like, I, I feel like the Sophia thing isn't just for a a, a, a woman. No. You know. Um, no, no, it's not. I mean, it's written by a man. I, I mean, I have people saying, are you sure you wrote this? It sounds like a woman wrote this or whatever. And it's like, absolutely. I was there. Uh, it was only me. Well, and, and we have uh, energy in us that shares that same kind. Yeah, of it's the whole Jungian thing of the anima, and I feel that my anima, my female aspect, the creative, the you know, yeah. um, mother, the all the feminine and all that was um, suppressed throughout my ministry, and me breaking free of it all, uh, she came to life, and yeah. When that the one with the bear that they're holding up the teddy bear, you said that was the first one. 
Yeah. I, I think of, I connect that with my floating in the ocean. It's, it's, there's this huge thing that tells you you have to be something or you can't do something. And if you go back to what you view as your real self, and I view Sophia saying like, I believe that when I was little, you were safe. And I still think I'm going to hold to it. And, uh, you know, while I don't recommend someone literally do that, (laughs) <laughs> to yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> that's not the point of the art <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 no the the um yeah to me a bear attack would be like top of my list of ways i don't want to die um the the fearless thing it's interesting that it was the first one because um for me it it meant it was a warning okay this is this is going to require courage, David. This you're going to have to really be real, and um, and this is going to take a lot of guts. So it's interesting that was the first one, and then the last one was um, in the book is light, and that's where she's walking through a door that's out into the light. She's coming out of a dark room into the light, and uh, yeah, so that yeah, really something. Did you, do you feel like you've gone into the cave now? Have you done it? I've come out though. Look out. <laughs> yeah, no, I've gone into the cave and, and, you know, we need, sometimes we need to go back there. Yeah. I, I feel like right, right around now, actually, I'm feeling like, okay, I'm my, my following's growing. Like for example, my Instagram, I'm about to get to a hundred thousand followers and um, I'm feeling like, okay, it's time to go into the cave again. Mm-hmm. and make sure i'm being me and i'm not feeding some image of myself yeah uh, and that i i'm not trying to nourish or or promote something that's not real i want to you know I, I need to be authentically me and um i want to at any cost yeah. right like Nick pastor i'll admit it's a business i'm selling my art yep i'm making a living from it but I don't want that to become my lungs and my heart and everything. I, I, I need to, uh, I need to be very Zen about this. And um, so I, you know, I feel like it's one of those times I I just wrote it in my journal this morning. I feel it's time for me to sit down and really analyze what's happening and make, make some priorities and stick to it. So. Wow. Wow. Well, as, as we get closer to wrapping this up, the, uh, something else that I jotted down was naked pastor, just the phrase naked pastor. And uh, yeah. if you want to talk about how you came up with that, and then I'll, I'll, as you're talking now about what you're journaling and going to the cave again, you know, it's been a decade or more since you transitioned into this profession from vocational ministry. Yeah. Like, my follow-up is where'd you come up with the phrase, but also like, is that what you want to be known as forever? Is, do you still want the word pastor to be like a permanent uh, part of your title? Cause I didn't even know your name until recently. I just called you naked pastor to everybody, you know, <laughs> so where, where'd that come from? And is this what you want? Do you want everybody to think of you as naked pastor, as opposed to David Hayward? That's a really tough one, man, because uh, the, when I first bought, the name naked pastor 
uh, it was when the naked chef and the naked archaeologist and the naked truth, it was all sort of trending. And um, I wanted people to, I was a pastor when I was blogging. I started back in 2005. I was a pastor of a real church. And I wanted people to see behind the curtain what it was really like to be a pastor, not just the church growth and offerings and the great music and the prayers answered and the people saved and, you know, church growth and the wonderful messages and all that stuff. I wanted them to see the conflict, uh, the financial struggles I was having, um, the um, doubts I was wrestling with. Uh, I wanted them to see behind the curtain. That's why I called it naked pastor was me just being honest and real vulnerable transparent so then when I left the ministry in 2010 I did have a I was I had a I was in a quandary like okay I'm not a pastor so what am I going to do with this and it's kind of a brand it's kind of got a life of its own now Mm -hmm. and I struggled with it but then I started hearing from people saying oh you still have a pastor's heart you've heard that phrase uh-huh. Or, you know, you're, you're really kind of doing the work of a pastor, just, you know, you, it's not local, it's online. And, and yeah. you know, um, so for me, um, the work of a pastor is helping people be who they are and to walk their own spiritual paths yeah. with authenticity and integrity. And I'm there to validate them and encourage them and so on. I don't care where you are on the belief spectrum, or even if you're not on the belief spectrum, I'm there to assist you and mm-hmm. support you whatever, wherever that leads you. As long as you feel free to do what you're doing, that's yeah. what I, I help people feel empowered to do. Yeah. So right now I'm, I'm keeping the name naked pastor. Sometimes I wish I didn't have it because people like, are, what are you a pervert, you know, kind of thing. And mm-hmm. why put naked together with pastor that doesn't look good right now. And with all of this happening in the, Roman Catholic Church and all this stuff. So I admit, I do struggle with it. Um, I struggle with the name a little bit sometimes. But but it's like you say, like so many people know Naked Pastor. Nobody knows David Hayward. So I don't know what to do at this point. I think it works for the record. I think it it does work. (laughs) And I'm old. So, you know, it won't be that much longer. So, I was wondering if you could give some advice to anybody listening who um, can maybe two different categories. One in the in the category of deconstruction, somebody yeah. in that process, and they're like, well, "What do I do?" Um, the other one is for somebody that wants to do art, that whether it's be scribbling cartoons or whether it be watercolor paintings, but they want to they want to really create something that really does spark conversations and challenge Mm -hmm. people's thinking and all those things that your art is doing. If somebody else says, yeah, I like to scribble and do art, but I wanted, I want it to mean something and I want it to generate conversations. Any, any advice for, for people in either, either one of those categories, deconstruction or creating art that sparks conversation. Um, so deconstruction is, I, I have a, I did a short video on TikTok where I said, there's only one way to do deconstruction. There's only one way to do it. I'm going to tell you right now, it's your way. Yeah. And that's it. That, that's how you do de- deconstruction is just you being you and doing it your way. That's my advice. There's no formula. I mean, I wrote a book on deconstruction, which basically is a collection of letters I wrote to people who were deconstructing to con- encourage them. But um, there's no method, there's no steps, there's no, you know, program, 
So basically it's you just dissembling um, adopted and inherited beliefs and so on and questioning them and um, becoming more true to yourself oh, as, yeah. you, as you seek the truth. So that's my deconstruction thing to do with art. If you're um, creating art, uh, I feel the best art is not preachy. Hmm. So if I feel I'm being preached at, I, 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 I'm not as fond of it. Now, a lot of people are going to say, man, you're preaching through your art. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe. And that's something I need to watch out for. Like, so for me, the, the best, if you're, if I'm, if somebody's creating art to make money, it, it's somehow, there's nothing wrong with that. But I feel the best art is something that just emerges out of creativity and wonder and beauty and love. And, you know, it's just, it forms, it creates. And the, the after effect might be people loving it or wanting it. If I, if I create something, if I do a painting saying, I need, a, I need, I need $500, I got to do a painting to blah, 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 blah. It's no good. Uh, maybe it's all right, but you know, I don't feel like it has heart and soul. So um, if there's people out there who aspire to be artists, just create, like create, 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 yeah. and make, make art and um, just keep doing it because you love it and you're passionate about it and you want to do it. Yeah. And one day, like I, this didn't happen to me overnight. I've been painting for decades right and selling art for decades right i'm making a living from it now but it took me a long time so just keep keep making art keep putting it out there mm. and you know if you love it you won't mind that it's not selling but when it starts selling you'll love it even more <laughs> sure i i that's fascinating you said the thing about not being preachy because i don't see your art as preachy but i do see it as extremely challenging and and it's interesting because I would not have thought of the difference between those until the, until now is there does seem to be a difference between something that challenges you versus something that is preaching at you. Yeah. You know, and I, I think probably if I had to, the Sophia collection is probably my favorite out of everything you've done. But if I if I think of cartoons. It's the all sheet matter. It That one yeah. is probably yeah. my favorite one. Um, yeah. But it's tough because that has implications and is a connection mostly to the Black Lives Matter phrase, although it connects with a lot of other things. And there's right. so many that you've done that are related to LGBTQ that I absolutely love as well. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's hard to pick. But with the with the um, All Lives Matter, that's a very challenging thing for someone who's actually listening. If they're paying attention, it, it should challenge them if, they, if they're listening. Um, that being said, in my experiences, the kind of people that would go out of their way to say all lives matter probably are not following your social media account and probably never saw that art. Uh, yeah. So I want that, that cartoon, um, all sheep matter, it's called, it shows uh, a shepherd going after a sheep that's over a cliff yeah. and on a ledge and the shepherd's going to rescue that sheep. Meanwhile, the 99 sheep are back in the pen and they've all got signs, all sheep matter. The point of that is that that, Cartoon is very popular and a lot of people love it and a lot of people hate it. Yeah. 
-hmm. But the point of that is that um, it highlights the envy mm -hmm. and the jealousy uh, of people who feel that they're no longer center. Yes. So that that's what that cartoon's about is wow. when 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 white supremacists let's say feel that black people are getting attention and that the white people are no longer in the center that's jealousy envy hatred whatever you want to call it um and so that i wanted to show that in the cartoon where it's about that jealousy of no longer being in the center absolutely you nailed it not only from the from racial but orientation gender and exactly. just general attention i mean yeah. just uh just in my experiences with church, oftentimes, whenever there was an emphasis on those that have been called outsiders, we will know we will not call outsiders. Right. When you start using that kind of language, the 99 are like, what about all of our needs? Yeah. Well, that, that's what almost everything has been dedicated to for a long time. You know? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, and that, that transcends even race conversation. But anyway. Well, thanks so much for your time. This is so helpful. I'm jotting a bunch of stuff down just to look up and hopefully other people listening will will look up your stuff as well. Um, but I appreciate your your authenticity, the example that you set for me as well as many others. And I just really appreciate your art. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I want to send you guys the book, um, The Liberation of Sophia, though. Man, oh man, we, we, we got the Liberation of Sophia book in the mail, and we love it. Um, it's just page after page of a watercolor piece of art about a fictional character named Sophia and the bondage that she was in and being set free and going into the wild. There's a lot involving the moon and bears and trees and water and shackles and jail cells and flying and walking across tight ropes and it, it it's and then there'd be a, a page of kind of an explanation of what he was thinking and what he was processing when he made it highly recommended and be on the lookout for the book that he mentioned flip it like this uh, a book of the best of his uh cartoons which are different than the watercolors obviously but yeah go to nakedpastor.com look at the books look at the uh cartoon, watercolor, drawings, buy some merch. And, and I hope that this has given you confidence, as, as it did for me, gave me more confidence and reminded me of the freedom that I have. So go to nakedpastor.com to check out more of his things. And then, of course, you can go to thingsaboutthings.com for more things. <laughs>